When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. Make a plan to do away with high-interest credit card debt by transferring your balance to a Navy Federal credit card. With a low intro APR and no balance transfer fees, you could pick the right card to help you save more. Check out NavyFederal.org for more information. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNU Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. If you guys aren't already following us on YouTube, you should be because we're doing video now, and that's fun. Uh, Patreon question, guys. Got a Patreon question. It's going to be a little more chill than the last question. Rebecca. Rebecca. What's up? Asks. What is one object from your childhood that you still have today? My baby blanket. My whoopee. Your whoopee. You still use it? Or is it just like in a box, or is it somewhere on your couch? That is none of your business. That's none of your damn business, business. mister. Yeah, my Wooby. Still got it. So still have the Wooby. I have my Transformers from when I was a boy. G.I. Joe. You want me to keep going? Yeah, go. (laughs) Bring it on. You got it all. No, there was a couple of nostalgic toys that we had... uh, Cause we didn't have much. I would always put my trans. I didn't. Even, we didn't know this was a thing. But I would put my toys back in the box when I was done playing with them. I was. Is that squared away now? That's pretty squared away, isn't it? Uh huh. And uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's cool to to look at that. That's pretty cool. We should get my comics and sports cards. Uh, I I kept them all this time. Dragged them all over the country. Drove them back and forth in Pelican cases. And I'm supposed to give them to my boys. I got two boys, twelve and fourteen. I haven't given them to him yet. What's what, so what's your best? Yeah, still hold on. What's yeah. your best? What's your what's your most expensive card? Uh, I got a Jerry Rice rookie card for like two cents. You know, that's worth probably a thousand bucks. Man, or so. yeah, Jay Rice, yeah. hold on to that bad boy. Yeah, I got a ton of cards. You know, you know, uh, Bo Jackson. Remember Bo Jackson? Yeah, of course. Yeah, Dude, if he you know what he's in the Kansas City uniform, I've got a, them all. I've got like fifty of his rookie cards. When he ran up that wall, they're not worth much because he's not going to the Hall of Fame. He got kinda, hurt. Yeah, amazingly, hey, enough, everyone knows that Bo knows that he should be in the Hall of Fame. That that dude, he dominated. Broke his own leg. So they were holding, trying to tackle him, and he pulled, bro- broke his, his own hip. No, yeah, separated this. <laughs> that and when he ran up that fence and caught that ball, that. The that documentary on he is on he him threw is amazing. A baseball from home plate over the center field wall. Sure, he did. It's hard enough to dominate in one sport. That dude dominated in two sports. He did two professional sports. But that's right when we were coming into the age of sports too. That that was back Jordan, all of them, all that. That was a great time. Man. I got that card too. Jordan holding the baseball bat over his dude. shoulders. White watched, socks. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I watched the the dance. The last dance. The last dance. Good. Amazing. Oh, amazing. 
Rebecca, thanks for the question. It's always nice to reminisce a little bit. Did, did you see the? Uh, did you see that? It's like strange inheritance series. No. This lady was emptying her aunt's attic out and threw a shoebox down on the on the table downstairs for like a week. It was the last thing they walked out of the house. 10, 20 perfect sets of the very first baseball cards. Honus Wagner, pristine, 10s. They do it in one to 10, right? I think so, grading, All yeah. of them, every set was worth Crazy. millions. Crazy. She had like, they had like 20 of them. And almost threw them away. Almost threw them away. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were wrapped up in uh, handkerchiefs. Amazing. That'd be a cool find. That All right. is yeah, I guess they're cool coming moment. back. I guess Gary Vanderchuk has been talking about cards forever, and I think they're starting to come back. Oh, Gary V. I still still have yeah. some. Remember the first Astros game we ever went to? I still have those. Oh, yeah. And that little book they gave us? It still smells like the... That was a cool part when you opened up the baseball cards in a way that... Bubble gum? Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, guys, we have got a great guest in store today. Monty Heath joined the U.S. Navy in 1993 to become a SEAL. He proudly served his country for 11 years. During this time, he was deployed to multiple war zones and was twice awarded the Bronze Star with Combat Valor designation. After honorably discharging in 2004, he led the U.S. Navy SEALs Mentorship Program and the BUDS Preparatory Program, the first two steps in the SEAL Candidates Training Pipeline. Welcome to the show, Monty. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. The long flight from where it's nice and chilly all the time, right? Where are you hanging your hat these days? Virginia Beach. Yeah. I was in Idaho for like five years, but just got back to Virginia Beach. The in-laws successfully petitioned to get us back. They're good at that. They're good. And I lucked out with them. You yeah. did. Yeah. I was say, solid, was... solid people. Yeah. I, I love, you know, you, I love them. How could you it's, not? It's I not, it's, uh, I can't imagine having in-laws that are terrible, you know? <laughs> I don't have a... Like, I don't want to ever lose them. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what, I want to lose them. Before we, uh, before we jump in, into the weeds about it, you never quit story. Can you give us a little background on who... Just tell us where where from, how to, and what yeah. you do, give us kind of an overview of what's going on right yeah. now. Yeah, grew up in New England, very strange family, lots of anger, lots of, uh, I don't say lots of violence, but a good amount of violence, chaos, um, didn't know what I wanted to be until I saw Navy SEALs, right? I still have the VHS cassette. That, that was, that was, was the like, deal. Yeah. I was like, that's what I'm doing. That's the only thing I'm doing. No plan B. Uh, went to Bud's. What scene was it? Ooh. And and I know the whole thing is a good. I mean, from when the boy when that song comes on on the on the golf course deal, freaking maybe jumping off the bridge, bridge the bridge, right, right, yeah. Like yeah. I wanted to do that till you got up on Coronado Bridge and realized how high that was. Was it Coronado Bridge? I think no, it was no, the bridge, no. Winhaven Bridge, Winhaven Bridge, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is doable. I was trying to be tough and jump off Coronado. That's two hundred feet. They, they get stuck. <laughs> yeah. That uh, is a kick-ass moment. That whole scene, right? It's just like, oh, yeah. that's what I want to do. That's exactly no, what I want to do. It was the only thing I wanted to do. It's the only thing that can get you out of a wedding up on the altar. If you said that you jumped off a bridge. No, no, no. If oh, your the beeper, beeper goes off yeah, and you're a Navy SEAL. It's the only thing. All right, anyway. Yeah, I, you know what's interesting about that time frame right before going to Buzz is I was on the swim team and never, never put forth much effort into any of the sports I played because I had a effed up you know, home life, I suppose. That's my excuse anyway. But I, I started to ex excel in swimming in my senior year of high school, was undefeated, set in school records, but I was still a, like a punk, like a punk-ass bitch, loud, you know, talker, let my mouth get in, get in the way sometimes. And I failed gym class. Like, how do you fail gym class? Well, people yeah. don't do that. That's a, yeah. That was you a don't shot. show up. That's a coach. You thing, don't play right? kickball. Yeah, yeah, right. You call Mr. Gutterson, Gutterson, gutter joke, the red-nosed boozer. And all of a sudden, you don't fa you fail gym class, and I got thrown off the swim team like right before the state championships. So in my undefeated season, 
setting records. I got thrown off the swim team and didn't go to get get to go to the state championships. And that was like the first time in my life where I realized, wow, like if I want something, I have to put 100% into it. I can't just half-ass what I want, which is a good lesson because I, you know, a couple months later I went to Bud's. And who knows how I would have done in Bud's if I didn't kind of get that lesson of like, hey, man, you're like, you need to be 100% in what you want to do or it's not going to happen for you. You know, so anyway, go to Bud's. Didn't make it straight through. Was there uh, I was hoping you did. Three it... classes. No, man, I was there for a year. God. At 18 years you. old, eight, I showed up at 18. I spent my 19th birthday there. So I was a year. Picture like one eighteenth of my life was in Bud's, right? That's crazy. So let me ask you a question. Because a lot of guys in our community have that attitude when they're younger in high school. And then you get to the, once you step into the program, though, you, you didn't have that. Like the day day one, week one at Buzz, that kind of goes away. Is that because of what's walking around in there? In terms of what goes away? In terms of that, the attitude? That punk that attitude. Oh, because chomp. you get your ass beat. You know, you, that's what it is, right? Yeah. The, when you, you walk beat. into a stable where there's something bigger and badder than you in there, it, it's kind of like, I don't care how bad you thought you were out there. When you walked in, it's not. That. No, no. You want to be gray. You want to slide. I didn't have that opportunity. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I think it's a source. They of say that's that. A, that's a great point because most guys that, that – not most guys, but a large number of guys that seem like they, they enter into this program, our backgrounds are the same. There's that punk-ass punk kid that didn't have any manners, and somehow either he was either go to, go to jail or go to the Navy or just to have anything else to do, landed in that program, turned out to be the best thing that ever happened oh, yeah. to him. I was an angry kid, and you guys know the only emotion that really is accepted and encouraged in the SEAL teams is anger. Anger. Right? Yeah. And that's perfect place to be. So good yeah, get showed up at that. Yeah, I mean, I think we all had. I don't know how you would make it through without any anger or be in that profession if you didn't have a good source of anger, you know? So I made it through Buds. This is all pre war, 93, 94. Uh, East Coast, 18 Delta, second Another class. Delta guy. class. Man, you guys are like. We didn't get pigs or goats, though. I was the short course in Sam in Fort Sam yeah, Houston. You were, you, were in, you were in Texas, though. Texas, yeah. In San Antonio. Because that, that's why I signed. When I signed up, they're like, hey, what do you want to do? I was like, well, was there any schools in Texas and like that 18 Delta? I didn't know what it was. And instead of medic, and I wanted to be a medic actually, and I was like, oh, that's even better. And you got to go straight to Buds, which I thought was, oh, that's really cool. Until you, you know, until you go to Buds and you realize it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you go to 18 Delta before Buds? No, after. Okay, okay, yeah, after. Um, I was a striker in Buds, which is the I, they didn't tell you that either. You're undesignated. I was the guy they would always point to the ship. He's like, "Hey, Latrell, you see that ship out there? Yeah, you're not even going to be doing the flapjack thing. You're going to be chipping the paint stuff, yeah. undesignated. They just called up. They want you. That kind of thing." <laughs> so um, I actually cross-rated out of Corman uh, pre-war, so never got to do any Corman stuff anymore. I went to IT. Because they told me, like, I wanted to go to, to, to Team 6, and they told me, um, you've got to do long course and then, like, one to two years as an instructor even before you can put your package in. I'm like, no, hell no. Jesus. So uh, cross-rated, cross-rated over to IT. Um, the cool information th- tech? Information tech, yeah. Okay. It was a joining of RM and ET. All right. All right. Um, no test. Like, I was on uh, HM1 one day and IT1 the next day. Oh, your first oh, class. Oh, you were first class? Yeah. Damn, buddy. Yeah. What would you go into Bud's as? Uh, well, I was dive fair, right? So I was t- delayed entry oh, program, E3, dive yeah, fair. Right. So we I got E4 out, out of Bud's. That's right. E5 was pretty easy, and then E6 was a bitch. And then um, right when I left, I was chief eligible. So I, if I stayed in like a couple more months, I would have made E7. The cool thing, though, about uh, you know this pre-war stuff is I got over to Bosnia. And um, 
some, we were doing piffwicks, right? Persons indicted for war crime, taking them up to the Hague to stand trial against humanity. And But other guys were wrapping them up. And I was like, well, who are those guys? And they're like, well, that's SEAL Team 6. And I was like, oh, interesting. That's, that's where I want to go. So fast forward, um, you know, all my years later, two weeks before I got out of the teams, I went back to Afghanistan, or excuse me, I went back to Bosnia, and we got to do a full soup to nuts, um, you know, surveillance and wrap up of this dude. I was the primary prisoner handler. I got to rip this asshole out of his house that raped like 200 women and killed 100 guys. Jesus. And got out of the Navy two weeks later. So everything I wanted to do was like complete. Just like that. Just like that. Um, so I guess back up a little bit, went over to um, NSWDG, was in green team when the towers fell in 01. So Perfect uh, timing. Perfect timing. Another group of guys went over there first. We got over there second and got over there the winners of 02, 03, and 04. So uh, you'll probably pop up uh, Neil Roberts if you want to pop that up right there. Uh, first seal to die in Afghanistan, Roberts Ridge. I was there. Um, I didn't do anything. I was the last helo to go in. And uh, when we went in, we just set up shop and uh, loaded the seven bodies. You know, bad day. But, uh, yeah, I went to his wedding, went, did a platoon with him at SEAL Team 2. Great mofo. You probably, you guys probably know the guy on the side there, Ollie. Take, take uh, a hit. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I know to him. <laughs> did you, you guys ever meet Neil? I never did. Great, great mofo. Funny. And, uh, yeah, Roberts Ridge, first SEAL to die in Afghanistan. Bad day. I remember him well. I didn't know him. Yeah. We lost uh, Chappie, a CCT guy, and a bunch of air crew. And, you know, they, I don't know what you guys know about that op, but it was like 14,000 feet, Tacker Gar. And we asked the agency, like, do a flyover and tell us what's going on that mountaintop. And they came back too quickly and said nothing, right? There's no, there's no movement. Well, come to find out there were thousands of boot prints in the snow. And if they had looked at the correct mountaintop, they would have seen that. And they would have known that our guys were literally flying into an ambush. So the first 47 that went in, they got ambushed. They got lit up. He either jumped out or fell out. And then they took off and they crash landed a couple miles away. Britt Sabinski, you know, who was awarded the Medal of Honor, is like, we're getting another bird in there. And they're like, I don't know if we're getting another bird in there. And he's like, we're getting another bird in there. They have to fight their way uphill, right? Like the last thing on the planet you want to do is fight uphill. And, you know, and it, it was just a bad day. It was a horrible day. So but the PJ on that op, Jason Cunningham. Yeah. He was my, I was an 18 Delta with him. So we were, we were buddies. He, he was brand new. Yeah. Crazy. The interesting thing about it, or, you know, that was kind of where we felt like we weren't invincible anymore. Right. Like amazing how that happens. We got over in January, we're kicking ass in January, February, March, and I think that was March 4th. And then we're like, wow, you know, we can actually die. Like people are actually dying. And then you gotta go back to work, right? You know, it's not easy to have a bunch of seven of your buddies die and then you gotta go back to work. Like this deployment's not over. Yeah. So very active, very active career, 
good career, even though people, I think some people kind of raise their eyebrow when you say you had an amazing career and there's so much tragedy going on, but that's, that's what we signed up for. Not much tragedy, you know, to understand that was going to happen. Got out of the service. What's next? Got into, I started business with some team guys and some other military people, learned a lot. It kind of failed, you know, it's, we, uh, we didn't get funding right. We, we, we were spending too much money, learned a lot from that failure. Then went into defense contracting, did that for like four or five years, learned business and learned contracts and costs and fixed costs and variable costs and all that kind of stuff. Um, my transition didn't really start yet because I was, that was like a team guy centric company. So I was around my buddies and, you know, Virginia beach, it didn't leave. So I, I didn't really transition yet. And then, uh, then I went out West and I went to a, a 624,000 acre ego resort and ran that for a year. That was a nonprofit dealing with wild Mustangs. Oh, cool, man. Yeah. And that's sort of where my life changed, not because of that, but because of what I was doing on the side. So I was a, uh, basically a ski bum. I got to be a ski bum because it was a, um, a, a summer deal. And I started working as a Special Olympic ski instructor. And I think that's where, no, I don't think, that's where humanity was like entered into my life. Like I didn't, like didn't want to be a corpsman. I wanted to be a corpsman first, but I didn't want to help people. Like I wanted to hurt people, yeah. right? That's why I cross-rated out of it. And until I started working, here, will you pull up the, uh, right there, uh, Maria, Down syndrome, you know, I, all my friends were SEALs. All my friends were cool. We're all like good looking, fit dudes. Uh, but what about her? Like, what about somebody that's born with Down syndrome? Like, why, we live these privileged, badass lives, but there's people that are born with severe cognitive disabilities and, and everything else. And I started to get some humility into my life. Like, shocker, I didn't leave the teams with any humility, you know? Amazing. But that's where I got it, right there. So, uh, I mean, that's got to be a smile. It just lights up your. Right when you walk in the door. Right, right. And she was hard. She was hard to deal with. But you know, we we uh, I took her skiing all the time, and, and it got better and better and better. And it chipped away. You know, it chipped away at my arrogance, and it installed humility. So, you, so you said earlier, which was right on point, that you, you have to have anger in your life yeah. in order to make it through and do and accomplish what we do in our in our community, especially in a time of war. And I think what I, there's a big misnomer, misconception that you can just check that shit at the door when you step out. They, that, that, that's not how it is. Most people in the world walk around happy, and every once in a while they're angry. Guys in our profession walk around angry, twenty four, and then occasionally are happy. Yes. And you're fortunate enough, and I had this happen to me too, but fortunate enough to have that walk into your life, and it's almost a slap in the face where you, there's a realization or an epiphany where you're like, I don't have to be that way. And here's the prime example why. Yeah. So I quickly went from this to veterans. So I started working for this organization called Higher Ground, and it's veterans with PTSD, TBI, and military sexual trauma. And I think sort of like as a penance or as a punishment to myself, I didn't want to go work with the super cool guy organizations. Like I didn't want to be with the Navy SEALs or Spec War or any of that. I wanted to be like with the common people and just common soldiers. And I, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I was so sick of myself and sick of that kind of team guy arrogance that I wanted to work with everybody else. So I got started working with with uh, folks with PTSD, TBI, and military sexual trauma was a was a was a big one and a That's strange, a very one for, hidden black over behind the veil problem so one in 100 men mm -hmm. in the service claim military sexual trauma one in 100 dudes and one in five women claim military sexual trauma now it's not like full-blown rape but some type of sexual misconduct so harassment, that's, that's, that's not right. cool 
And, uh, and it changed me. Like I, I started to talk with women that were raped, uh, multiple times and like get into it and like then talking about like how it happened and why it happened. And I would say like, how do you not hate men? Like, how do you trust men still? Like, you know, this, the last woman I talked to, she was raped three separate times and three separate, you know, completely unconnected. And I'm like, how do you trust males? Like, how do you trust? And she, and she was like, most men aren't rapists, you know? I had some bad things happen to me, um, but I don't let it cloud the rest of my life. And I was like, wow, you know, amazing, total, yeah, total perspective shift. And, uh, so, um, you know, learned a lot about the brain and I know that's your, your specialty and, uh, I, uh, I get really into it and, you know, why do, uh, why do people act the way they do with TBIs? You know, what is the brain? How it is affected? Is it physically affected? Like some people think like PTSD is not a thing. It's actually, they're all traumatic brain injuries. Like you physically affect and change your brain when you experience trauma, you know, I and mean, all that kind of stuff is, it was, uh, quite interesting to me. And, and, uh, and recreational therapy was, was interesting to me. That's what higher ground does. And that basically what that is, is just do something and then talk about it later. Doesn't matter if it's fly fishing or skiing or whitewater rafting or, or equine therapy, whatever the heck it is, you're in the moment, you're doing something, you're not thinking about all this, the shit that you've experienced in your life, whether it's childhood trauma or, or war trauma, you're just in the moment and you're, you're in the zone. And that's, there's, there's something to that. And then later you kind of talk about it and most people are uncomfortable about talking about things, but if you are uncomfortable, it means you're doing it right. Like, you know, our whole society is, is nowadays is all about like never being uncomfortable. Never taking yourself out of your comfort right? zone. But there's no growth in the comfort zone. Like that's not just a stupid phrase. It's real. Like we have to be uncomfortable to grow and evolve. And uh, so, yeah, so that's, uh, that's my uh, down and dirty and what I've been doing. So, yeah, given your, given your, where you come from, a challenging childhood, which people can, people can relate to that. People, even if they haven't had it, they, they understand it. Then, and then the entering into the, in the into the Navy, going into the teams, serving your country honorably for a little over a decade, and then exiting, circling back, taking care of those who we fought alongside, plus the ones we fought with. But that's not your never quit story that you want to talk about today. I think, and I'm, I'm excited. It, it breaks my. I mean. It's because I know you and I, and I know your son. It breaks my heart to hear, but I would love for you to share that with us if you... Yeah. Yeah, pull up. Uh, yeah, so that's George. This happened last May. And uh, so on the weekend, he's like, you know, I've got a really bad headache. And we're like, okay, so we'll schedule an appointment for uh, for Monday. And how old is he at this point? He's, uh, he's 11. And uh, so schedule the appointment. The next day he wakes up and he goes, my whole spine hurts. We're like, oh. Holy shit. So how does 11 year old know how to say that unless it is actually yeah. rocking? So we were like, okay, let's go to the ER. So we go to the ER. This is in Idaho. And, um, you know, they, they, they start to look at him. They can't really find anything. Um, he starts to degrade. So we're now we're in, now we're in the hospital and we're not leaving. And he starts to degrade. Like he's, he's scre- like he's unconsciously screaming, like he's screaming in pain, but he's not conscious. He's not, he, he's starting to, you know, to, um, uh, lose responsiveness. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they do a check for, uh, uh, bacterial meningitis, right? So they know that he has spinal meningitis at this point, but they say it's viral and I'm like, okay, cool. Viral doesn't kill you. Bacteria does. does, So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, he's degrading. He slips into a coma. And then on Friday while he's in a coma, 
they're like, um, it's, we actually found a bacteria, this mycoplasma bacteria. It's my, it's bacterial. We're like, fuck. So unfortunately he's not in the ICU or the PICU, the, the pediatric ICU, which is a whole another topic. And he should have been, but he's not in the PICU and uh, he's not getting much care. My wife and I are in there 24 seven and like, I'm suctioning him. Like he's, he's, he's just producing all this mucus, I'm suctioning his nose, I'm suctioning his mouth. He's starting to gurgle a lot, right? And See, uh, he wasn't intubated this time. He was wasn't it? intubated yet. And uh, so, so on, fr- on that Friday, uh, my wife and I are the only ones in the room. He fucking codes and he stops breathing. And uh, I, I don't, I don't remember. I, like I was sitting on the bench and I kind of just felt something. So I got up and I stood over him, and he, he stopped breathing. I see his freaking, you know, the, the breathing breathes zero and his his pulse is going crazy. And uh, I, I like, I, I squeeze, I, I look at him, I squeeze some juice out of his mouth, some, some more mucus. I turn him, I turn his head over and squeeze out some more, but I'm like, you know, do I, do I start rescue breathing on this dude? Like, do I want to push more of this fluid down into his lungs? My wife runs off and she's screaming to get doctors in there. I look around the room, like I don't see an ambu bag. I don't see any equipment whatsoever. I, I've got like nothing to do. I'm standing here with my, with my son in my hands that's dying. Finally, the, uh, you know, the crew starts coming in. I hear code blue come over the, the, the hospital and, uh, the, the crash team comes in, they, they bring an Andy bag and they're all like fucking with it. And they're like not getting together quickly. I'm like, dude, hurry up. He's turning blue. They finally get a bag into him and, uh, and he starts, he, you know, his, 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 uh, vitals get better. Uh, but that was the start of like a 51 day ride where he, uh, he was in a coma for about a week and a half, completely unresponsive, uh, slow brain waves. At one point they drilled into his skull and put a, you know, here's something I didn't know. When you get like a brain drain, they drill into your skull and they put a fucking, they put a, a um, um, like a straw down into your brain. Like it's mm-hmm. not just like drill a hole in your skull and like that's where the pressure's coming out. No, they put a, they put a, uh, a straw down into the inactive part of his brain. So until we got that going, we didn't know that his intracranial pressure was was so bad. So this is what sucks. The week he got there, like Monday through Friday, and he's starting to go unconscious and he's screaming, like the, the intracranial pressure was just building and he's screaming because his brain is being destroyed. So 50% of his cerebellum was destroyed and a little spot on his brainstem, which was the most significant, the worst, yeah. was destroyed. And uh, so anyway, fast forward a week and a half later, he starts to come out of it. Uh, he comes out of it. His arms are useless. Like he's paralyzed. The only thing he can do is blink. So we start communicating t- with him with blinks, like, Hey, blink twice for yes, one for no. Right. And we're communicating that way. Um, that's about a week. And then, you know, then his fingers start to kind of work and we're like, we have like an alphabet and he's, he's starting to be able to like point to letters, right? Check this out. The, f- the first thing he spelled out letter by letter was I want a sandwich. <laughs> the second thing he spelled out letter by letter was to my wife, you and dad complete each other. How about that? My wife is super emotional, super creative, cries and balls at everything. I'm like stoic, not much affects me. She's super loving and nurturing. And I'm like, I'm who you want. Like when shit gets bad and there's this 11 year old that wakes up from death and it's like you and you and dad complete each other. It's like, 
Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire just coming out of it. <laughs> Did you put it on the TV? Like, I had... God almighty. <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> I I can't imagine. What's, so my, my, my baby, when he was born, went straight to the IC for two weeks. Just uh, wires tapped, looked similar to that right there. And <clears throat> you and I were chatting about this a little earlier. Coming from a background where there's no such thing as <clears throat> kind of like perceptual agony or because we were like like you said we were invincible they don't have those problems in our world can you kind of lend some perspective of what what this did to you just so there's there's thousands and thousands yeah. of us out there so so the first thing it did was um i felt useless right so here's here's my boy in my hands and I don't usually feel useless. Like, we're not useless type people. And I felt completely useless. And uh, I couldn't save him. I couldn't help him. And the first thought that I had was, if he dies, I die. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I, then a, a louder, stronger voice in my head was like, no, you have another boy. You know, he needs you. So knock that shit off. Um, and then gratitude. I didn't understand gratitude until this. I, I just didn't. Like we even taught it at higher ground, but I didn't understand it. I didn't have gratitude in my heart. I wasn't grateful for anything. It goes back to that kind of anger piece, right. right? So now I have gratitude for him and I didn't even really connect with him. So I have two boys. My older boy is kind of like a team guy. This, this guy was like very cerebral and intellectual and reads a lot. And like my older boy is like a team guy and he was just kind of whiny and I don't know. I didn't really connect with him, and uh, this occurred, and now we're tight as tight can be. Um, so he, it, I, I learned gratitude, and I um, became tight with a son that I didn't really relate to before. So it's it's, it's amazing. The, it's been it, good. Yeah, the small stuff you probably took for granted that you don't anymore. Oh yeah, yeah. Just just the idea of waking up in the morning and and just stating or writing like what you're grateful for. Is a, can be a life changer. That's something you do for life. That's something I do, and I didn't even think about doing before. And uh, it puts you in the right mindset. Like I would say gratitude and attitude are like a seesaw, right? Like if your gratitude is high, you can't have a bad attitude. But if you have no gratitude, you've got a bad attitude. You know, that's that's how I was. I've never heard it put that way. That's Right? That's the seesaw, the teeter-totter. Yeah. Inversely, what is it? Inversely proportional relationship. So, so 51 days was this... 51 days in the ICU, or 51 days total, um, we went to Salt Lake City, which was an inpatient neuro rehab program, and I thought we were going to be there forever. Like, I had no idea how long we were going to be there, um, but he came around quick, and uh, we were only there for a couple weeks. So he went from, like, being paralyzed, which was, you know, what was weird was when he came out of it, his arms were paralyzed, but his legs weren't. I, I could tell that his legs were strong. Uh, which doesn't really make any sense. Damage other, to the cerebellum and the brainstem had something to do with that. Yeah, had to, had to, because there was no other like you know. Because those co- those control proprioceptive movement, if I'm not mistaken, which is his ability to know exactly where his limbs are in space, which might have been what was going on with his arms. You said they, they're they're back though, right? They're back. He's a little. I mean, he's got some issues. He's a little shaky. He, um, you know, the cerebellum is what's affected when we drink. Yeah. So he kind of he kind of moves like you know he's had a few. Yeah. It's a, a, little, sh- a little shaky, a little. You know, he's never going to be an NFL quarterback, but he was never going to be an NFL quarterback anyway. <laughs> Being a team guy, you know that the guy, our, some of our, our our Chiefs get really good at mastering that whole drunken master, right? And they're they're exceptional at what they do. You didn't even know it. So 
I mean, don't count that out at all. I mean, his little brain, <laughs> his little brain is still developing actually right now. I, I, yeah. This is the perfect opportunity to keep hammering everything. Well, neuroplasticity, as you well know, is a thing. And the the moment he could start doing stuff, I started doing stuff with him, throwing the baseball, throwing the sure. football, boxing, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we went, you know, I got him on a bike. You know, it was it was a little bit before he could get on a bicycle and kind of feel that balance again. And and now he's good to go. He he's. Uh, He's, his attitude is better. He, he doesn't whine. He has appreciation for life. He has appreciation for all sorts of things. He so when he turned twelve, he got a hundred bucks from his grandmother uh, for his birthday. You know what he did with it? He donated it to higher ground. What twelve-year-old donates money? Donates their birthday money? That one. That, that one. one. Yeah. So that was before he had an ET. You know, before he had a crike. So after that, he was innovated. He got a crike. He got a G tube hole in the skull, mainline, everything. He had everything going on. I can't imagine how. Well, you're right. There's something as 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 parents, especially you know, I'm a father, so I speak as a father. When something like this happens to your baby and it gets past your watch, that is the worst, most helpless feeling in the world. Like yeah. I failed as a father, not only because this happened and I can't do anything. How do you rebound from that? How did, what what steps did you take if well, you want to share that? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, you didn't, especially since you get you get a chance, you didn't lose him. Yeah, God, God, thank God. Well, a, a lot of things. Um, you know, one thing we were talking about earlier, which I don't mind talking about, is this, is is a psychedelic treatment. I mean, not that I went in there for that. I actually went in there for my my childhood stuff. Um, but it, but it's all like an all encompassing, make you a better human being or, or more, uh, more aware of how you started, where you've gone, where you want to go and, and everything in between. Let's, let's, let's dip into that. G- give me a second on this one though. Can, um, and I, because I want people out there to hear this that, because challenging times when it comes to your children affect your, the relationship between you and the missus. Yeah. Is that something that that y'all absolutely went through and if you did how do you how do you, how did you work that out people look for that people want to know they want to hear that stuff so you know yeah yeah we i'd say we got tighter my wife and i um we were there the entire time you know one of us was in the room the entire time those 51 days um little side note uh little tangent was some kids don't have anybody in there some kids in the icu are alone and don't have parents or or anybody and that's heartbreaking but that's that's a tangent um, my wife and I got tighter. We, we, we got in a couple arguments during this time frame, but you know, every morning we, we were laying next to him, like spooning on a, on a couch that's meant for one. And that's, you know what I mean? So it was a tight, it was a tight experience, but. And fortunate enough, you're, you're, you know, your extended family, your they were, in-laws. They were very are, helpful. Johnny on the spot, drop everything. Lose everything. We're running. Here we go. What? What? We take care of Jack and yeah. George's best friend's mother set up a GoFundMe. We never. I never shared it because I felt weird about it. But um, the GoFundMe was well funded. Um, you know, Navy Seal Foundation came out to help. Seal Legacy came came out to help. The Brotherhood came out to help. So the help was all there. Um, yeah. So you just have to have to kind of put your life on hold, and everything is about the kid in the hospital, and 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 that's what you do, and that's the only thing that matters. And uh, yeah, gut wrenching. Because because um, his brother he didn't he probably didn't get it. He still doesn't get it. 
And that's what, oh, this cuts me deep. So, so I got two boys, 12 and 14. They're 22 months apart. They're completely, utterly different. The older one's basically like a team guy. And um, he's just an animal. At seven years old, he had two years of boxing, six months of Muay Thai, six months of Jiu-Jitsu, and six months of wrestling. Okay? That's my older boy. Um, um, okay. So they're in wrestling, these two boys. And an older, bigger kid picks up George and smashes him down on the ground and stands over him and laughs. And Jack, my other son, comes over and he starts laughing too. And I'm like, oh my God, get over here. I take him outside, put him into the hall, and I'm like, dude, <laughs> if a bigger kid picks up your brother and stands over him and laughs, you don't go over there and laugh with him. When mom and I die, your brother's the only thing you're going to have. Like, Forever. this has got to change. He still doesn't get it. He still like he still gives him shit, and you know we'll be talking and and we'll talk about George almost dying and Jack's like you know whatever or and you're just like oh my god like how do I get it through to this? I want to watch. You know what I, I was told? Sit him down and put on Boondock Saints and say that's how brothers ought to behave with each other. Right there. Right. That's what molded this one. <laughs> yeah, we, we added wonder, that one to our powers. Yeah. activate over here. We added that one into the. We got molded at a young age too. Um, our our daddy demanded that. that. He's like, no matter like, what, at the end of the like day, in the beginning. it's two of you. Yeah, your brothers, and you act to a point to where like we don't when we're apart, it's a problem. I heard you guys fought or, or competed like at, until you were 17, and then you're like, we're not doing this anymore. Or what, what was that? Oh, against each other? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we, oh, yeah, yeah. man. 8, 18, August 4th, 1994 was the last time we touched each other in, in conflict. How did that go? How did... Terror, bad, bro. We all, bro, bro, all of us went up in the hospital. Uh, but I, I was in the hospital. <laughs> Broken bones. It I was, mean, dude, it was, it was I, <laughs> thunder and lightning in a, in a contained environment. Well, they thought it was contained. It wasn't. Didn't we, work out all that well. Didn't work out all that well for everybody else. But uh, but were you always tight? Were you tight? Yes. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't. Not, we didn't start that. Our dad did. And we we, we were best friends, inseparable. Watch each other back. Hundred percent. From from the womb to the tomb. That's our little catchphrase. I I think well, I gotta install that in my boys somehow. And the, I don't, I don't eventually know how to do they'll it. they'll figure it out. Yeah. I think. I harp on Gunner about that all the time. I was like, this is your baby brother. By all means, if somebody's jacking him, you're jacking with him too. And I always appreciated jacking the guy up. It's like when 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 you split twins, when they when you pull them apart, like there is a certain point where they're where they were connected, and that part is what we get along. And then there's the opposite ends, and that's what I love about his side, left side, right side, back to back. You know this that whole dominant thing, and, and instead of getting upset about it, learn to appreciate it. Yeah. That's what we did. You don't have any brothers, do you? I do. I've got three. Well, I've got five half brothers. I've got one full sister, two half sisters, three half brothers, and then Lord. years after my dad died, I found out I have two other half brothers. I haven't even looked up yet. I, there's really, I don't, was that, why is that such a thing? It's you, that's your brothers. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you got, it's, <laughs> I mean, that's, well, like, I, think well, one, I'm third, I think one day, uh, one day he'll see a set of brothers defending each other or something, or he's going to come. And help him, yeah. and then the light bulb is going to go off. Yeah, that's usually how it Baby was. Jack, Baby does Jack have any like 
frustrations or resentment from the time that y'all spent in the hospital oh, yeah. with him yeah. over yeah because it made it made everything about george yeah you know he first of all an older brother doesn't want normally a younger brother to be born anyway because sure. you you want to be like uh, you know the only yeah. child and then this kid comes along and all the love is going to him and you're like what the so you know that that just has never changed and uh yeah he he got all the attention jack was kind of back home and, and, and being attended to, but it hasn't hit him yet. You can talk to him and you know that there's no cognitive, like my brother almost died, like this is a big deal. That may be a good or a bad thing. I, don't yeah, know. I was about to say, kind of stretch it out when, it, when, that, when that, it's like an aha moment or a realization as to what, what that truly was. And that in itself, like us, we go on that anger and chaos so far so we can appreciate it on the other end what the other side's like. That's the only way we can know true joy and happiness is if we know how pure pain sucks and chaos. And, yeah. That's it. And you can tell somebody's been deep down into it because of how joyful they are on the back end. First 40 years are in darkness. Like you're just trying to figure out the man you're not and the life that you're not supposed to. It's all build up. And then you, when something like that sets it, you push forward. So almost, so almost losing your, I can't imagine, you know, having to go through as long as you and, and Cassie had to go through that. Just from the time you're in the service to the, to the, to your childhood now to this, it's a life of aggression, trauma. I'm not taking away the fact that there, there was an awesome elation and great times and <clears throat> that, but it seems guys that like you in your situation, we have a tendency to shoulder a lot more. And then, and once we, exit the service and continue on life it's really hard to make the transition but you you took a journey that you were mentioning about you were talking about earlier you mind sharing yeah because yeah. i think i'll i think i want to clear up a misconception people have about what you're about to talk about and i because i took a journey too and you and i have chatted about this and we're on the same page it's there's there's a way out of the street emotional struggle i think yeah so yeah so the first thing i'll say is i i successfully compartmentalized everything for most of my life like most team guys right don't touch it don't go there i'm not going there um period repress, and that works. Repress, repress. yeah that works but it's not sustainable it's almost like you have an open wound an open infected wound that you're just putting a band-aid over and until you go into it until you dig into it it's going to be an infected wound so all my trauma that i experience and my stuff is childhood like i don't even consider war stuff to be my stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like right. my stuff is my stuff is childhood. So anyway, I used to just just put that in a box and lock lock it away and never talk about it. But then I started to be vulnerable and I started to understand the power of vulnerability and, and how it's disarming and it allows other people to open up. And not everybody wants a big bad dude pounding on their chest. They want some vulnerability. So anyway, I had this vulnerability kind of um, transition I started working through my stuff. Uh, I, I was really into disclosure or discovery and disclosure, which basically means like look at your shit and go through your shit and then voice it. Like so for somebody that didn't voice anything and compartmentalized everything, um, voicing it and getting off your chest was very cathartic to me. So fast forward until January uh, when I heard about this psychedelic treatment and it's put on by a doctor 
And uh, sometimes it's funded by an, another organization and, and you go down to New Mexico and, and you consume a couple plant-based medicines and, and natural medicines. The first being Ibogaine, right? So this is a plant-based medicine from the Iboga tree and uh, it's DMT and um, you consume it and then you're, you, you know, you, you're basically in a state of, um, the cool thing about it is you're totally cognizant. You're totally with it. You're not drunk. You're not high. Like you're not off into space, you're, you have your wherewithal and you're in a dream state. At least that's the way it's explained to me. So, um, and it's, it's harsh. It's not a party drug. This isn't the type of, this is never going to be a party drug because it's a harsh experiment, ex, you know, experience because you are going through your shit. And, and the first time I did it, it didn't even work. But the first, when I was there, this one guy had an amazing experience that I want to talk about. He was a force recon guy. There was like a couple seals and a force recon guy. The force recon guy uh, does the uh, ibogaine, and all of a sudden he's in this room, and he's in a room with the presence, and the presence starts ripping stuff off the wall, and it's like, you see these suicidal thoughts you've had since you were ten years old? You don't need those anymore. You see this shame that you felt since you were seven years old? You don't need that anymore. And it just went around the room, and it picked off all of his shit, all of his baggage, all of his trauma, and explained to him and showed to him why it's not useful to him anymore. And I was like, wow, that's like. That could, that's like 10 years of therapy can, in, in like 10 hours. Can you ex explain what you mean when the medicine explains something to you? Because people, you know, people don't understand that. It's, I, it may be to a point where people are not going to get it because, unless you experience or take a journey. Yeah. But So before the journey, it's very intentional. You, you have these books that you work through and you work through these intentionalities. And whether you're um, into God or spirituality or I liked the idea of asking my future wiser self questions, but basically you ask questions to the medicine or in your head and it comes back with answers, answers that you probably are not going to come up with on your own. And you, you know, you ask it things and you ask it to show you things and it will show you things. So for example, um, well, the, here's a cool thing about it. And I was talking about how you're, you're totally sane and sober, but you're also in a dream state. Like you have your eyes closed and you have these sleeping shades on your eyes, but you are seeing perfect images, like HD images with your eyes closed. Like that's how cool it is because you're, you're accessing that dream state. So you ask it things. You ask it like, you know, like why was my fault? Whatever, whatever your shit is, you, you ask it that and it will come back to you and it will give you answers and it will kind of guide you through your shit guide you through what you need to be guided through. Um, so I've done that twice. The first time didn't work. The second time did work. And the second time I did, I began, I, I got a compliment from my dad, which is what I probably, my life probably would have been different if I would have just gotten this compliment from him. He was a guy that complimented me like twice in my entire life. I forgot the first one. And the second one was I finished buds. And uh, I walked away with it with, with just exactly what I needed to hear from him from that experience, right? So I began therapy, not a party drug, really harsh, will make you go through your, your trauma, and normally you come out the other side better. Then uh, you chill out. That's a Friday night. Saturday, you kind of chill and just eat fruit. Sunday is 5-MeO-DMT. So the first one, by the way, I began is called the stern father, which is perfect, right? The stern father. The second one is the God molecule. So 5-MeO-DMT is the God molecule. And that is unlike anything else on this planet, period, times a trillion. You can't even explain it with words. So the first time I did, and I'll, I mean, I'm about to explain it with words, but I think you get what I mean. The first time I did it, I, um, I met God and I'm not even a Christian. I, 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 
because of that, I, I now believe in God. I'm not sure what I think about religion and the brands of religion, but I, I believe in God and I'm a God-fearing man. The first time I did this 5-MEO, I, uh, I just I felt love. I felt love to the cellular level. I met this big ball of light and love, which I think was God. And uh, the, the, the healer said, uh, you were laying there and you got this giant smile on your face and you're like, it's all about love. And like that's not something I say. That's not something I think. No, 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 no. Like I'm not a big ball of love, you know. Um, so anyway, that experience, that experience, um, it, it changed me. Had a was was doing pretty good for a while, and then you know basically I went there because I was having suicidal thoughts. I've had a lot of suicidal thoughts. I have no plan, no no um, no desire to die or plan to do so. But I've pretty much wanted to die since I was like six or maybe 12. I don't really know because of my childhood. So fast forward to the next time I did 5-MEO, I got to die and I got to do that without putting anybody else through it and then was reborn and like basically, came, not basically, came back and was like, wow, like I'm, I'm okay now. I, 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 like my anger, I don't need that. It's not helpful. The, 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 the trauma, all that stuff that I've experienced, the shame, the, 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 the betrayal, the, the pain, whatever, whatever your pain is, it's not useful. It's, it's like a bag of bricks. You just set that down and walk away. Right. So it, it was, it was a game changer. So yeah, five MEO DMT, uh, I would suggest every human being on the planet experience it. And it's unlike anything else times a million. Because the medicine has the ability to put it into perspective that only you will understand. Great way to phrase it. And it's uh, 20 years of therapy in three days that you don't have to talk to somebody you don't know who has no emotional or relationship tie into you as an individual. So you, you, you have, actually have a built-in therapist, that it, and that's the access to the door. Well, that's what's cool is everything we need is in us already. Absolutely. It's already programmed in there. We don't need, we don't, you know what I mean? Like uh, throughout our lives, everything you guys, us, whatever we need to do, we can do. It's on the inside. It's, it's not external. I mean, you might, you might say like this plant-based medicine is the external part of it because you're not going there without it. Um, but in terms, you don't need a therapist. You don't need to be uncomfortable and, and divulge your, you know, X, Y, and Z to a guy if, you, if this works for you. So I would assume that beforehand there was, there were things in your life with your relationship, with your wife, your kids, your family that you didn't have a perspective on. But after your journey, did did all that change? Is what what's it like now on the other side when you're looking when you're present and yeah. looking around? Yeah, well, that's another good point. Is being present and presence is a whole other tangent. Um, what I realized was I. I'd never had an issue being present when I was doing something, shooting, jumping out of an aircraft, scuba diving, whatever it is, I am present. But with like conversation and relationships and other humans, I wasn't present. I was always like thinking about what I was going to say next and not listening to the person. I was always thinking about what I was going to do next and not really trying to like form relationships. So like communication and relationships in general to me is like new or pretty new. Um, and that experience well, that experience, but the five MEO experience, um, buff that up. And now I just, I want to, I want to help people. I don't want to hurt people. I like, I want to come from a place of love and not anger. Um, you know, I want good things and I want people to experience good things. And, um, as opposed to the older me that like to elbow people in the face and choke them out and fist fight. And you know what I mean? 
So it's more of, more of a place, more of like a hippie, like more of a lovey-dovey hippie type than a freaking angry destroyer. Or a dad. Hmm? A father, a dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those make better fathers than then. Is this a self-guided experience or a facilitated experience? Facilitated. Yeah, you, you get a shaman or a healer assigned to you. You talk with him or her beforehand, and they sort of give you the deal. Um, tell you, um, you know, keep your ex, you know, keep your expectations low, or don't even have any expectations other than setting your intentions, what you want to get from the experience. And then you can always, you know, th- those people are on site. You're very well taken care of. There's those other are doctors te- and there's, nurses. Yeah, there's doctors and nurses, and more, maybe more importantly, other team guys there. Because you're laying, you know, you're laying, picture yourself, it's a nice house, but picture a bunch of mattresses on the floor and four to six dudes just like laying on the floor, like out of it. But you were very well protected. That's the thing is you've got other team guys there, guides that are there and sober and, and staying there and, and, you know. That recon, Bubba, what um, his experience, I'm sure was just altering, life altering. Yes, totally. He And he had a whole, he had a crazy story. I actually just did a podcast with him. I haven't, I haven't put it up yet, but... Uh, yeah, you'll you'll hear that. If I'll, I'll send it to you. What did it do for the family, wife and kids, when you came home? Yeah, it's been super helpful. They they like me a lot more than you know. I'm I would less, assume now you're approachable. I'm much more approachable. I'm way less intense. Um, I don't get angry as as often or as easy. And when, and when you say that, there's I'm sure there's going to be people out there that say, "Well, I need to be that way." And the answer to that is, you still can be. Yeah. You just don't have to be right now. When you need it. When you need it. Yeah. More control. Well, that's that's like switching on and off. It's like, it's not, uh, control. It's more of a. I said presence already, but it's more of a, an understanding of, I don't have to be. I don't, I don't have to be a team guy. I need to be a daddy. I need to be a citizen in the in the community. So literally, just turning the page, and starting a new chapter, and being okay with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got situational awareness and then you have hypervigilance. Like we should all be situationally aware, but should we all be hypervigilant and watching over our shoulders at all times? No, because that's 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 you don't need that. That's putting your mind in a state of stress that you don't need. But the stuff that kept made us good team guys and kept us alive, that's great. And it, it had a, it had a use. It can have a use if it pops up in the future, but you don't want to roll around your whole life like that. Right? Like when you're on target in Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever, doing what you do, that's wonderful, that keeps you alive, you're kicking ass, but that's not how you speak to your kids and your wife and your mother-in-law, and you know what I mean? It's, it's like, that's useful, it kept you alive, but it's not how you wanna roll forever. Mm-hmm. But you can go back to it, you know? It's, yeah, it's- Right? Some, some guy comes and smacks my, my wife on the ass or pushes my little kid, like, yeah. shit's gonna go down. That's when you're like, thank you. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, those are those mindscapes I have now. Like I'll be standing next, to, I'll walk in the living room or something, step on a Lego, or the kids will be, and I'll, or I'll ask something for the kids. And dad's like, "Hey," kind of joking around. The minute they say something I don't want to hear, I have this in my head where I shift over to the UDTs and the blue shirt with the handlebar, yeah. megaphone, get up and get up. <laughs> that kind of thing. But it's uh, it is fun to have it captured in there. Yeah, you know what I mean. Is it something you can roll to? Well, that kind of brings up empathy too. So I left the teams with basically no empathy and no humility. And empathy, uh, you know, that back to the girl with Down, Down syndrome or Special Olympics or whatever, empathy is an important thing in life. And, you know, we don't learn that in the teams. There's no use for empathy as a team guy, right? You don't want to empathy. Who gives a shit? You don't want to empathize with anybody else. You want to freaking kill them, kill them, choke them out, beat them up, whatever you want to do. 
Um, but I think empathy and humility are important in life and important in leadership. And I picked them up pretty late, like probably mid-30s. You know, I didn't have either one of those until pretty recently. Um, but important stuff for family life. That's what I learned during COVID was, was to embrace the moment. Because just like you said, I wouldn't... Th- it's not that I wasn't enjoying what we were doing, but I would always jump ahead to the next moment and start concentrating yeah. on that when the end part is the best, right? That's, kind That's of, why you're well, successful. You're just, you, don't, you don't rest on your laurels. You right. don't just, you're not just, like, well, who it, wants to be stagnant, right? Right, and it has nothing to do, that's what we think. But in reality, you're... You're missing out on the greatest pieces. Yeah, you, you shorten down the prep. Like, we're already ready. We're just, you know, when the moment shows up, then we'll engage. And that forward thinking, it's just kind of, and they, they teach us that. Look forward with it. It's hard to be, in my opinion, it's hard to be a journey guy, and it's easy to be a destination guy. Like, we always think about the destination, the goal, the mission. But I don't know about you guys, but I rarely enjoyed myself in the moment because I'm always thinking about that next thing and mm-hmm. what I got to do here. I'm not thinking about, oh, you did a good job on that. You're thinking about, oh, I got to get better on that. Stop and smell the roses, for yeah. God's sakes. Yeah. Well, thank Thank you uh, for that. That's um, I got to tell you, buddy. It, especially with get somebody with your background, just sharing something like that means more to to all of us. And you, you know, because a lot of people that have been through these things, they they don't have a perspective that on the other side. They're they're locked into that the kind of the, the sheer agony of the of the moment, and they they need they need to hear guys like you that have gone through something like that. They can say, hey, look, yeah, that that did this happened to me. But it doesn't define me. Yeah, and, and keep moving forward. So, so, God bless you, and God bless your family, man. I'm glad to see. How's he? He's thriving now. Yeah, he's doing yeah, well. He, yeah, he's doing hey, well. He's yeah. uh, he's got a there entrepreneurial mind. I don't got any more. He's always wanting to flip something. He's like, let's buy a go kart, fix it up, and flip it. And uh, oh yeah, so I just threw that nice that's, skinny shirt yeah. just for fun. A little tactical unicorn. <laughs> Never take yourself too seriously. That's how I roll. And. Uh, in terms of, you guys are probably going to ask what I'm doing next or what I'm, yeah. you know, what's next yeah, in my life. What's on the, horizon. Um, the One Mile Project. I don't know if you heard of the One Mile Project. No, huh? It's uh, started by a couple of civilians. It's a nonprofit. And uh, we've got a race coming up, Race Across America in June. What, like a foot race? Bicycles. Okay. Eight-person eight bicycle race. I'm on the crew. I'm not biking. I'm going to be a motivator. Um, but we start, and I think Carl's... Good for you. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I don't want to sit on 3,000... Bike yeah, on the side. Yeah. Different breed of people. So we got an eight-man team, and some of them are like amputees. And, you know, we've got like a range of like Olympic caliber athletes and like veteran amputees. So we're, not, we're not trying to win, but we're going we're gonna to ride across right. America. So we start in like Carlsbad, California. I think it's like third week of June. And we're gonna do uh, we're gonna break it up. I think twelve on, twelve off. So I got four riders. They're gonna do fifteen minutes on. So they're gonna be sprinting across the whole damn country. Damn. Fifteen minutes on, fifteen, fifteen, and then you're back at it for twelve hours. And it takes like nine or ten days to bike across America to um, bring light and help those suffering in silence. So it's Are all you guys about, riding up north where it's cooler. Yeah, where y'all going? Y'all have layup positions. No, and you gain a shitload of elevation too. You, it's like basically the middle of the country, like through the oh, mountains. Oh, you hit the mountains. Awesome. You the, yeah, yeah, you hit the mountains. Sweet. And uh, yeah, man, one one uh, one mile. That's my next thing, and uh, looking forward to it. We go out in uh, February. Go out and do our first little training op in Carlsbad and meet all the meet all the people involved. And yeah, outstanding. What about social media? Social media, I'm kind of a train wreck. I, um, I just <laughs> deleted Facebook about a, three weeks ago, and I actually just brought it back up today. 
Um, I, I've got like one foot in of social media, one foot out. Like I'm not consistent. I, I barely like it. I barely want to put myself out there. And I'm, I'm uh, so yeah, you, you know, what's interesting about this being here, I think you guys will just see me trend up because I, I haven't been putting much effort into. No, we're happy to help you. Into helping can. myself or, or marketing myself at all. Like I got my own podcast and I haven't even tried to monetize it yet. The Full Monty. There's two Full Monty podcasts out there. Oh, bring up bring up the one pick, the uh, naked uh, whip pick. Oh, it's up here. I got an 18. Here's my only 18 Delta pick. Right there. Okay. That's 18 Delta, me naked in a, in the parking lot in a crowded the parking lot with the sun up, cracking a whip. And if you, if you, the full Monty, my logo is basically my silhouette. So that in all black. <laughs> because why not, right? You have amazing shoulders. <laughs> There's a Chrysler in the background. <laughs> hey, Monty's also a part of the Team Never Quit Speakers Bureau. So if you guys are is. Yeah, wanting to worry. book some Monty, teamneverquit.com slash speakers. Yeah, montyheath.com and all the social medias. I'm there, just my name, Monty Heath. And, uh, yeah. Thanks, thanks for, for joining us today, Thanks buddy. for having me. Thanks. thanks for coming out to Valhalla and Team Never Quit. We, uh, I feel at home. This place is this awesome. This is the first round in the team room, bro. So Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. Let us know what you think. We're available anywhere you get your podcast, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, and more. We got brand new podcast gear, Never Quit flags, all kind of stuff in the shop. Head over to shop.teamneverquit.com. Make sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think. See you guys next week. <laughs>